So, what we've discussed, yes. You know, like in the Bible, sometimes there are stories that are like, like stories that mm-hmm. are real, like, yeah, and some of them are like, say, parables yep. or, or, or something like a, like a, some, like they, it's written so, so we learn something else, but it's not, it was saying like, like that, like real. Yep. Thing. Yep. So, so was that meant to say like a real person, or it was just to show us how Christ? Well, Melchizedek was a real person. That was it. wasn't a made-up story. It was an actual occurrence that took place uh, between an actual encounter between Abraham and Melchizedek, and the the purpose that that all of a sudden this Melchizedek guy just shows up on the scene and disappears after three verses, only to have his name mentioned a thousand years later is for what this writer of Hebrews is going to make the case for right now. And, and the, the point that he's trying to prove to them so that they understand, oh, that's who this Jesus is. And, and so that's what it's all going to... It's all going to come together now. Mm-hmm. So... so I'm just, I am just asking myself, like, why did they, they, they write, write, um, honor him so much if he wasn't from them? Well, because, you know, Abraham honored him and and abraham honored him abraham because he was a high priest of god and and he was the king of salem later called jerusalem so even him even they recognized it and then david thousand years later writes that the messiah would be a priest on the order of melchizedek so what does that say about how important melchizedek was if their savior was going to be a a priest on that so they obviously knew melchizedek was someone important and along comes Jesus, or along comes the right of Hebrews, sorry, to say that Jesus is on that order, and He's greater because just as Abraham paid a tithe, so did Levi pay a tithe to Him. Lesser uh, is is blessed by the greater. The lesser pays a tithe to the greater, and, and so this is the case He's trying to make to them. Okay. So was Melchizedek a high priest of God? You said? He was a high priest of God. That's what it says, and oh, it says he was a high priest of Even God. Even though it could have been a different culture, or a different that way. Like he was well, a Jew. There was no Jew at the time. I mean, the only Jew was Abraham and Sarah, I guess. Um, but, but nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, many people think Job was a contemporary of, of Abraham. So around the same time. But he wasn't, he wasn't a Jew. And, and even before Abraham, you'd have had Noah and so forth. They also would have been... Um, you know, followers of God too. So, so there was there wasn't just the one guy. There was there was countless people that we don't know about. So was Melchizedek a real person? He was a real person. No, he's a real person. Then how did he have no genealogy? Well, I think that's more of the. Um, th- there was probably no record as more about it to to show us to give us the picture is what what's really more important. Yes, Senya. Was Melchizedek a prophet? It doesn't say he was a prophet. It does say he was a high priest and a king. Whether he was, might have been a prophet, he was perfect or? Uh, doesn't say it doesn't it doesn't say that it doesn't go into that detail. So I don't know. All I know is that he was a high high a high priest of God, a king of, of Jerusalem or king of Salem, king of peace. His name meant king of righteousness. He has no beginning and no end, as far as we know. So he's still still alive, as far as we know, and all that's to paint a picture to tell us about Jesus, who becomes our high priest. No, no, he's not an angel. Not a per- he's a person. Well, no, but here's the thing. Don't worry about Melchizedek. 
He's, you see, that's the mistake we've made. We then, oh, well, let's just learn about Melchizedek, and we'll study Melchizedek, and we'll make a story about Melchizedek. And Melchizedek had one purpose, to point us to Jesus. So focus on Jesus then, and as to what Melchizedek tells us about Jesus. He's a king. He's a high priest. He has no beginning and no end. He's a perpetual priest. That's what we're wanting to learn and see about Jesus. So what does it all mean? What's the whole point of it? And, and now this is where the, the, the writer of Hebrews is going to lay out his, his knockout punch. And remember, this is the meat of, of the book of Hebrews and, and the solid food of Christianity. And he says now in verse 11, Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, if perfection was through Aaron, for on the basis of the people received, for on this basis of it, the people received the law. Meaning, the law came from Aaron. Or from the Aaron's priesthood more specifically. See, what we typically think is God gave a law, Ten Commandments. And then knowing what we we're going to do with the Ten Commandments, which was what? Break them. He then instituted the entire sacrificial system as the fallback, as the result. Meaning law came first and then the priesthood. And the priesthood was there to forgive us all our sins. That's how many people understand and interpret it. But the reality is, it came the other way around. It started with the priesthood, and then out of Aaron's priesthood came what? The law. Came the law. Now, what's so significant about this is if Jesus comes along, and he's a greater priest of a different order, you throw out everything in the priesthood. So you throw out the Aaronic or Levitical priesthood, and guess goes what? Guess what goes with it? The law. You see, if it was law, then Aaron and his priesthood. Then you replace Aaron, and you'd still have the law. But when you replace the priesthood, that means there has to be a whole new covenant. So on the basis of the people, they received the law. For what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of, order of Aaron? See, look what he's doing. He's taking the Old Testament scriptures, the Psalms. So it's not like a New Testament right. He's taking the Old Testament scriptures and saying, look, in your scriptures, in the Old Testament, Hebrews, you prophesied, David prophesied, about a new priest coming. On the order of Melchizedek. Someone that was greater than Aaron. Someone that was different than, from Aaron. So if you have a new priest, you have to have a new covenant. It's by necessity. For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity, there takes place a change of law also. When the priesthood comes in, a new priest come, comes in, there has to be a new covenant. So meaning... If there's a new priesthood, a new covenant is required. The covenant based on Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross. Now remember, what, what we typically see happening in Christianity, and my guess is what they were doing, is they were trying to fit Christianity into their old covenant Judaism. So Christ, he's the high priest. He's just replaced Aaron. So just as Aaron was doing all those sacrifices, well, now Christ is doing all those sacrifices. But the, the system and the economy, it operates under the same rules and standards. But that was never the point. God never intended 
for Christ to help us fulfill the Mosaic law. It was to get rid of it. It was to replace it with a whole new covenant. Because when you change the priesthood, everything is changed with it. Does that make sense? Can we use another word instead of priesthood? Could you have another word? Um, well, priesthood is, is essentially the line of priests, the lineage of that priest. So, for example, um, in, in England, we have the royal family. And so that, that line of, of royalty falls through, you know, that line. You have the line of Judah. Well, we have the line of Aaron is the priesthood. And so he has come. We, God has changed the priesthood. He doesn't insert Jesus into Levi's family, into Aaron's family. He's got a whole different one altogether. Well, po- the Pope isn't the priest uh, in that sense. He's not a pre- not a, uh, a, se- a special kind of priest. Uh, the the Pope is um, man's religion enforced. Yeah, um, he. Well, they think it does. I don't know how they would do it because the tribes have been scattered. But they, they think they know who the high priest is and whether they just kind of said, hey, Bob, guess what? You're it. We, we, which has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. Yeah. So just, yeah, so just as, as, as Jews would still have the, the lineage of Aaron as their priest, but it's meaningless. The Catholics, they have their lineage of priests, but it's meaningless. The Pope is not our representative to God. And, and really, the book of Hebrews goes to denounce the Pope in that sense, in that role. All right, so, so for when the priesthood was changed, of necessity, there takes, uh, takes place a change of law of also. So we have a whole new covenant. The question then is, why do we need a new covenant? Why not just try to insert Jesus into the old? Why change the covenant? And he explains that in verses 18 and 19. And he says, for on the one hand, there is a setting aside a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness. What's he talking about? He's talking about the old covenant. He's talking about law, the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments. And he's saying of its weakness and uselessness. Not very flattering words when you talk about God's law. For the law made nothing perfect. Now, do we draw the conclusion then that there's something wrong with the law? The law is holy, righteous, and perfect and good. That's what Paul says in Romans. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem is with who? With us. The law never made anything perfect because it can't. It can't make anything perfect. You see, in essence, if we were to summarize the law, the law was demanding us to love and to love perfectly, and love perfectly all the time. The problem is, it didn't give me the ability to pull it off. It never gave me the strength and the power to accomplish it. And so, I'm trying to do it in my own strength and my own power, and it will never work. So that's what Paul here says in Romans 8. He says, for what the law could not do. What could it not do? It can't make me love. It can tell me to love. 
but it can't give me the power and the ability to pull it off. Why? Weak as it was through the flesh. Weak as it was through you and I. So the law can't make you and I perfect. The law and I, the law can't get you to love perfectly all the time, every, every time. So God took care of that. God made you and I perfect when He sent His Son to die on the cross. So that the requirement of the law to love might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit, who trust in His Son to live in and through us. So the problem isn't the law, the problem was with us. But the law was never going to be enough. It was never going to be sufficient. So it had to be set aside. It had to be put aside. It had to be replaced with a whole new, different covenant. Not a modified covenant. Not a shuffling of the old covenant. But replaced entirely with something new and different. Because the old just wasn't going to cut it. Does that make sense? So, it's, the, the, let me explain it this way. The, the problem with the old covenant is kind of like saying, you know, you come up to me and say, okay, I want you to draw a picture. In fact, I want you to draw this wonderful work of art. And, and I'm going to teach you about paints. I'm going to teach you about paintbrushes and the different styles. Now, I want you to go and paint. And I go and I draw something. You know what it's going to look like? That's my dog. <laughs> It's going to be a disaster. <laughs> Poor dog. Uh, what I didn't tell you is after he got hit by a car. No. So, I mean, I mean, this is what my painting would look like probably. Because you know what I lack? What do I lack? What are you saying, Tina? Come on. <laughs> really? Yeah. I just don't have what it takes. <laughs> hey, listen. It's abstract art, okay? So... I, actually, I just got it from the web. So, it's, But this is what I would draw if it were me. Because I, I don't have artistic ability. I don't have what it takes. You can teach me. You can give me all the right brushes, all the right tools. And I still won't be able to pull it off. I still won't be able to paint Mona Lisa or some other work of art. I can't do it. Because I don't have it within me to do it. I don't have the artist in me to do it. So God had to set aside the old law. So that he could replace it with something new that would allow me to have the ability to give me the power to do so. But the law was never going to do it. So the law was flawed. It was useless. There's nothing wrong with the law in and of itself. It was flawed because of me and because of you. Does that make sense? So... With the new covenant, what would you draw now? Well, <laughs> whatever Jesus wants to draw now, I guess. Uh, I'll show you later. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. See, is, is there anything wrong with the law? No. When you understand what the law is for. And what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 and 9, he says, We understand that law is good when one uses it lawfully, when one uses it properly, realizing the fact the law is not made for the righteous person. The law is not made for the person in the new covenant because it's been replaced. Instead, the law is for the murderer, the adulterer, the liar, the cheat, the thief, 
the gossip, for the ungodly and the unrighteous, the unbeliever. Because what the law does is it exposes sin, is it stirs up sin, and then it drives them to Jesus for salvation. But now that you're under salvation, now that you're under the new covenant, the law has been set aside for you and I. We don't need the law. Instead, we've got something greater, this new covenant. Now, what's interesting, the, the idea of this new covenant, 30 times in the New Testament it's, raised up, it's brought up. Just over 30 times. Of that, 20 times it's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. This is the first time covenant is raised in the book of Hebrews. What does that tell you, Paul, or the writer is going to talk about in the next few chapters? It's all about covenant. And, and when you study out the covenant, you're amazed at the power of it. And, and so that's, you know, here's a preview of what's coming in the fall when we, when we finish the book of Hebrews. A big, big part of it is going to be about covenant. What is covenant? Because here in the West, we have no clue. We think covenant's like a contract. No. That's like saying, you know, filet, filet mignon. That's like mud pie. It's the same thing. You know, some dirt, some water. Filet mignon, same thing. No, it's not. It's very different. So what is a covenant? What's the old covenant? What's the new covenant? That's the next part of what Hebrews is going to explain. And so that's what we're going to get into when we get into chapters 8, 9, 10, and so forth. So that's coming. Um, but now we got to get back to Melchizedek and the priesthood because that's the main point that he's trying to make here in chapter 7. So... Look at the qualifications of, of Jesus then as our high priest uh, according to the order of Melchizedek. First off, Jesus would not have qualified as a priest in the Levitical system. When you try to make Jesus a priest in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, He would fail. He would be disqualified. He's not a Levite, and He's most certainly not of the line of Aaron. So right off the bat, He doesn't qualify as a priest in, in Israel. He would be outlawed. So again, if we look at Jesus as now being the one to help us fulfill the Old Testament, He doesn't qualify. He doesn't even be able to do it Himself. He can't operate as a priest. So for Jesus to operate as a priest, it's got to be in a whole different system. It can't be in the Levitical system. It can't be under the Old Covenant. There necessitates a new covenant for Him to operate under. Does that make sense? And that's why he's on the order of Melchizedek. Yeah. He's not on the order of Aaron. He's on a whole different type of priest. Yeah. Jesus is a king and a high priest, just like Melchizedek is. In fact, if you, if you look at the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, they, they took great effort to show that Jesus was a direct descendant of David. You can trace him all the way, you know, David to Jesus either on Mary's side or on Joseph's side. So pick your choice. Both come to Jesus. Um, and so he is a king and a high priest. Jesus did not inherit his priesthood. Mary and Joseph, they weren't priests, so it's not that he inherited it. It was appointed to him by God, just like Melchizedek, no father, no mother. He couldn't inherit his priesthood. Every, priesthood after, every priest after Aaron inherited it, but Jesus didn't. It was appointed to Jesus, just like with Melchizedek. And so Jesus is the king of righteousness. He's the king of peace. And he's the high priest of God for you and I. Does that make sense? 
So let's go back then and see the significance of this idea now about Jesus now being our high priest forever. So verse 20, And as much as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath, but he with an oath through the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now here's the thing. With, the, with priests in the, in the Levitical system, you hit 50, what happens? Get out. Go home. You can help out every so often and come by, but you can't even work. You are retired. Give me your badge and keys. You're done. And so they're retired age 50. Now, the high priest, he would go on till he died, but there have been many, many high priests. Can't even count them all. Because they would you know, live for a few years, the high priest, and then they'd die. Then a new one come in, they would die. New one come in, they would die. But Jesus, when's he going to die? Never. So here's the problem with the Pope. If the Pope is the high priest of God, guess who he's replaced? I wouldn't want to be saying that. He's not the high priest for us. We already have a high priest. That job's filled. So we've just put the Pope on unemployment. He can go get a different job now. Because that job's filled. He is the high priest forever. Not only that, he's become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now, if he is the high priest forever, how long does the covenant last? For as long as he's high priest. So because he's high priest forever, the covenant lasts forever. Do you see that? And that's incredible to me. Because for the covenant to break means Jesus is no longer the high priest. But he says, I swore by an oath. Now, here's what's interesting. Only two times in Scripture does God make an oath. Now think about it. Does God really have to make an oath? I mean, this guy, he never lies. He always does what he says he's going to do. So why does he need to make an oath? Who's it for? It's for us. First time he did it was with Abraham. He says, Abraham, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a son. You're going to have an heir. And to prove it to you, I swear an oath. And it wasn't for his sake. It wasn't to bind God to it and say, oh man, why did I swear that oath? I guess I got to do it now. Can't go back on it. It was for Abraham's sake so that Abraham would have that assurance. So that Abraham would know, I'm going to have an heir. How do I know? God made an oath. So it was something important. The next time he swears an oath, the only other time he swears an oath, is so that we would know that he will not change his mind. Jesus will serve as the high priest forever. That's one of those divine hints or divine does that should let us know that there's something significant to this. There's something important behind this. And it's to give us that assurance that He's there forever, and therefore the covenant lasts forever. He will not change His mind. He will not go back on it. He has accepted the offering that Jesus has made on you and my behalf. And so therefore, it's been satisfied. So when I was looking at this, I, I was amazed at, at how the writer of Hebrews, 
has, has made the security of the believer so incredibly strong with this covenant. And then I had a thought. This is in a little aside, a little extra for you. Some people who believe that you can lose your salvation. And if you believe that, that's fine. You, you can be wrong. That's okay. But if you believe that, and, I, and I've, I've, I've found interesting, people who do believe that, they tend to also believe that if a person gets divorced, that that marriage is never ended because they're still in a covenant. So if that person were to go marry someone else, they would be committing adultery even though they're divorced. Because once you make that covenant, you're married for life. So I find it interesting. When God makes a covenant, you can break that. But when you make a covenant in marriage, that's never broken. Isn't that interesting? There's a covenant. Covenant with God is never broken. Never, never, ever broken. So we can't break it, which just has people asking, what about free will? No longer have the free will. You made the free will to get into it. If you make a covenant with me, you make a covenant with me, you say, Ross, I will give you $100 um, if you can jump up and down three times. I'm willing to make that covenant, by the way. And you swear by blood, you know, that's what a real covenant is, you swear by blood. So we, we cut ourselves, we shake hands, we exchange, we enter into a blood covenant. Now I jump up and down three times. What do you have to do? And if you don't pay, you're saying, I'm going to die. I will die, and that's what the blood covenant is saying. I would rather die than break the covenant. So your free will was when you made the covenant. You didn't have to, but I'm really glad you did, because 100 bucks. <laughs> I mean, so once you make that covenant, that's your free will. You can't go back on that. It's a co- That's what a covenant is. You can't go back on it. And so God's made the covenant. So you have free will. You made it. You had free will and you made the covenant. So it's not like a covenant, a contract. Not like a contract. Like we think contract. That's right. And that's, that's where we're clueless. We have no idea. So stay tuned for part two to, to get that. Did God not make a covenant with Noah? Yep. <coughs> Never to flood the earth again to destroy it. And so far, so good. Some might disagree, but uh, but he hasn't destroyed the whole earth that way. Yeah, we gotta look forward to fire, Slave Lake. No, no, oath. There's a difference here. Oath and covenant. Oath and covenant are two different things. He he made he he swore an oath, but he made covenant. That's something else. Yeah, yeah. There is there is many covenants that he made. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay, I didn't want to go down there. What you make when you get married, you're making a covenant with another person. You're not making a covenant with God. That's the great mistake we make. You make a covenant before God with another person. But you don't make a covenant with God when you get married. Yeah. All right, so back to this then. Verse 23, then the former priests on the one hand existed in great numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently he doesn't die so he's forever the priest forever the priest forever the covenant whereas in Aaron's line they were dropping like flies every 10 10 or so years 
didn't last. But there's only one priest, and that was Jesus Christ. So if the priesthood's forever, then the covenant that comes with it is forever. Therefore, he is able also to save forever. And that's the point that he's trying to make. Now remember, who is he writing to? He's writing to a group of, of Christians that are Jews, that are under great persecution, that are, are terrified of what the future may hold for them. And he's saying, Jesus is better, so trust in him. Why? Because he's able to save you. He's able to protect you. He's able to, to make you whole. And he's able to do that forever. Those who draw near to God through him, since he is, always lives to make intercession for them. He's always there to make sure that that you're safe. He's always there to make sure that you're okay. No matter what you do, he's, his sacrifice is acceptable. It's enough. That's what he means, always there to make intercession for us. It's not that you know, God's angry, he has to go and talk God off you know, the lightning bolts, uh, from striking with lightning bolts, and he's got to talk him out of it. He's just, his his uh, sacrifice is always enough. It's always satisfactory. For it's fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. See, what would happen in, in, Levi, in the Levites with Aaron, is they would have to offer first sacrifice for themselves, and then they could offer your sacrifice. And they'd have to do that every day. Because guess what? I mean, as soon as you know, Marco would come to me and I'd offer the sacrifice for him, Marco's leaving, and guess what he's doing? He's scheming, he's thinking, he's plotting, and he's sinning. And so he's got to come back tomorrow. And then I'd do another sacrifice for him. But I've got to do one for myself, because guess what I was doing when Marco left? I was scheming, I was deceiving, I was sinning, I was doing all that. So each and every day, I've got to offer a sacrifice for me, then I've got to offer a sacrifice for you guys. Come back the next day. On and on and on it went. Well, you know, it didn't end up having every day, but if you ended up doing something significant, you'd have to come every day. You know, if, you know, like if you went, okay, I haven't done anything major, I haven't run over anybody and killed anybody, but once you do, all right, then I got to come and offer the sacrifice. Now, the one you do every year is to say, okay, I, I've missed some. <laughs> so here I am. Yeah. So, but, so they're doing it each and every day, these priests. But Jesus, he did it once for all. Because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Now it's interesting, the one piece of furniture that's missing in the, holy, in the temple is a chair. You know why? They were never finished working. It was go, 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 go. But Jesus, you know what he did when he offered up his sacrifice? He sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he, what was he declaring when he sat down? It is finished. I've heard that somewhere before. I can't remember where. Oh, it was the cross, wasn't it? It's done. One sacrifice. That's it. It's so much greater. It's finished. It's taken care of. It's dealt with. Every single sin you could ever do has been paid for. If that leads you to go and go and sin, 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 then you don't understand what I just said. When you know that you've been forgiven completely, that should lead you to praise God, to rejoice in the freedom that He's given to you. 
There is now no more condemnation. You are free. And so for the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints a son made perfect forever. So he's been made perfect forever and the oath lasts forever and the covenant lasts forever. And therefore you and I have been made perfect forever. So the question is, what does this apply to you and me? How do we apply this to you and I? Well, the first is, we have a priest who lived as a man, knows our weaknesses, has suffered, faced temptations. He's experienced life. He gets it. He understands it. There's not a single problem you can go to him and he can say, "Ah, you know what, I I don't know what that's like. Can you explain it to me? He's our empathetic high priest. He gets it. He understands it. He's been there. He's walked that path. And now he can lead you and I through it. Not necessarily from the pain, but through the pain, through the trial, through the tribulation. He's been there. And again, when you think about who he's writing to, a group of Christians who are, stru- who, are, who are striving, who are struggling, who are under great pressure and tribulation and persecution. And he says, this Jesus guy gets it. He understands it. Which is going to be really important later on in Hebrews, when he gets Hebrews 12, and he ta- starts talking about the role of suffering and what it produces. And again, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands it. Now, the other thing is, in 8.1, it goes on now. It says, now here's the main point of what's been said. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched. So basically, another type, another foreshadow was the temple. The temple wasn't the thing. It was the thing that pointed to the thing. The real tabernacle was where? Up in heaven. Which is why when Moses was instructed to, to uh, create the tabernacle, God went to such lengths to say, it's this long, this high, this wide, have this, have that, make it look like this, have this furniture, have that, it's got to have this, don't forget that. And he was explicit with the blueprints because it was a picture. It was a foreshadow. It was pointing to something else. It wasn't the temple. It was what the temple was pointing to, which was the temple in heaven. And so... We have a, a minister in the, in the true tabernacle. So Jesus entered into the heavens and he made the, 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 the sacrifice there. So as every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it was necessary that this high priest have also something to offer. Well, what did he offer? Well, he offered himself. So if, if he were on earth, he wouldn't have been a priest at all since there are those who offer gifts according to law, who serve a copy in the shadow. Um, but now... Skip down to verse 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which has been enacted on better promises. So we have a better promise. We have a better covenant. We have a better mediator because Jesus is better. And what he's done is for once and for all time, he's made you and I okay. He's made us acceptable. He's perfected you and I. There's no more striving to become you already are. 
And so what He's done is He's made us completely acceptable. There is nothing about you that is not acceptable. You may do unacceptable things, but that is not who you are. (coughs) Who you are is completely acceptable. And I don't care what you did before you came here today. I mean, you could have come straight from a drug deal to here and you'd still be acceptable. You could have had, you know, lunch at the the strip joint and then gone to the, the drug deal and then come here and still be acceptable. You could have killed a guy on the way to the strip joint before the drug deal and then come here and you'd still be acceptable. I don't encourage any of that, by the way. But if you did and you're in Christ, his sacrifice is enough. What you did was wrong. What you did was sin. But who you are is acceptable. And that will never change. Why? Because you're a great high priest who has been sworn by an oath to be that priest forever is constantly making that intercession. His sacrifice was enough once for all. That covenant remains forever. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Super abounds, literally it says. That's how wonderful, that's how incredible our high priest is. And so the work is forever complete. It is finished. And I think he said that to us because some of us are still striving to complete the work that he's already done. So just like we put the Pope out of a job, let me put you guys out of a job. Stop trying to perfect yourself. Stop trying to make yourself more acceptable. Instead, receive what God has already done. That doesn't mean that you're not going to continue to grow and mature and continue in the sanctification process. You absolutely will. But you're not, being come, you're not becoming glorified. You're going from glory to glory. That's like saying we're going to leave Kitchener to come to Kitchener. Which in Kitchener you could probably do with all the streets. But, <laughs> but what he's saying is you already are glorified. You've already been made perfect. And so now you're going to become perfect. You're going to begin to walk it out. It's going to begin to shine forth. You are glorified. You are acceptable. And that work is finished. So for some of you, you're out of a job now. Hallelujah. Collect unemployment. It's great. And receive what God has done. This gift. And the covenant lasts forever. Because the priesthood lasts forever. For the covenant to break means the priesthood didn't do his job. It means the priesthood sacrifice wasn't enough. But there's something that's really cool about this that really doesn't come into, into more later on in the chapter. Or sorry, later on in the book. But I want to give you a sneak preview because I, I think he gives us a little sneak preview in chapter 7. But the covenant is so very different from the old. And let me explain how. Remember our, our lawnmower? That John Deere is probably powered by a little 8 horsepower engine. That little tiny engine. This is a Formula One engine. 
rather than 8 horsepower, Formula 1 engines have exceeding 800 horsepower. You ask, what would I would draw? I, I, was go I, I had a, a clip of the sound of this engine. And it, it, it's sweet. It's a symphony that Mozart couldn't even do. It is, it is, it is just beautiful music to my to yours. But I, I just don't think you guys would appreciate it. If you if you would come see me, because I'll enjoy it. it. It's just beautiful music, and the that's the engineer. But but this is an 800 horsepower engine. Most of your cars probably don't even have 100 horsepower. I mean, this thing goes from zero to 100 miles per hour in about three seconds. This, this will knock you back. Uh, with the cars they have, they have enough power to actually drive upside down because they have so much um, downforce. They can overcome gravity that way. That's how much power is in this thing. And you see, what you and I have is we have a whole new source. See, look what the writer says in verse 16. He says, Who has become such, not on the basis of law or physical requirement, but according to the power of an indestructible life? The old covenant was based on whose power? My little eight horsepower Briggs and Stratton lawnmower engine. Doesn't sound very good, doesn't look very good, and it certainly doesn't smell very good. That's my life. It's weak and insufficient and does not cut it. But now we work in this new covenant according to the power of an indestructible life. I love that word, indestructible life. It's more than just a life that never ends. It's a life that cannot be overcome. It cannot, it's a life that cannot be destroyed. And so I imagine the picture of, of a castle that's under siege by the enemy army, by a storm, by an earthquake, by a typhoon, by a hurricane, by a tornado. And guess what happens to this castle? It doesn't even flinch. It's indestructible. All the storms in life, all the trials and tribulations that come your way, guess what you have the power to handle it with now? The power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is your life. That's what powers us now. That's what, what drives us in this life. That's what allows us to live and to have victory now. This powerful engine, Jesus Christ himself. So rather than so let us, let's go back to Hebrews 4, verse 14, then where we begin. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, that's gone to heaven and made the sacrifice in the actual tabernacle in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Jesus is, so live by faith. That's what he's saying in verse 14. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near. Let us come to, is really what this word is saying. Let us go to Him. Let us run to Him with confidence, with boldness, with, with assurance that He's not going to slap you in the face or send you away or reject you or fail you. Run to Him with confidence, with boldness, to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy, His love, His compassion, His, His comfort, 
Because when you've been rejected by this world or when you failed and you've sinned and you've hurt people, what do you need? You need mercy. You need His love, His compassion, His kindness, His comfort. Run to Him for that. But not only will you receive that at the throne of grace, but you'll also find grace to help in a time of need. And that grace is the power of that indestructible life, that power of Jesus Christ. So run to Him, and you will find everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. So no more trying to squeeze Christianity into the Old Covenant. Instead, drive the real thing. Experience the real thing, the real covenant, the covenant of Christ, this covenant of grace, this new covenant. To end now, I want to play the, the video I tried to play a few weeks ago. I think it's, a, it's actually kind of fitting to end it on this. So uh, if, Jacqueline, you want to turn the lights off and we'll just uh, let God speak to you in this. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace 
is sufficient. His reign is righteous and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. That's your king. That's your priest. Your great high priest. Can't outlive him and you can't live without him. Truer words I don't know right now. That's your king. Jesus is better. Better than you can imagine, better than you can hope for, better than you can than you can than you can lean on anything else. He is greater, he is better. So run to him. Trust him. Live in him. Heavenly Father. Thank you doesn't begin to stress what we have. You have given to us an indescribable gift in your Son. You have given to us this incredible high priest, this incredible King of righteousness, King of peace, who loves us, who has offered himself to make us acceptable and perfect, who has cleansed us and made us pure, And now this indestructible life lives within us. Father, show us the reality of that. May we not neglect this salvation, but may we run to Him. May we draw close to Your throne of grace and receive the mercy and grace we need for life. To face the hurts of life and to face the trials of life. Thank You, Father. We praise your holy name. Amen. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.